Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hey, Andre, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm so excited to have you on the show because you're another serial founder, uh, someone who's also not only doing that, but also tackling some hard, deep tech problems as well. So you've done VR and now you're doing deep tech and I'm like, respect the hell out of you. So we're going to go into why it's so crazy to do this, uh, you know, both times around to be at the frontier of technology. Uh, so we'll go into that. But for Andre, for those who don't know you yet, how would you introduce yourself? Company builder, serial entrepreneur, which I know I also hate that title, but I'm, I'm just a CEO guy that likes to get technical and likes to learn new stuff. Yeah. And so... You grew up in the States, you went to the University of Texas. So how did the entrepreneurial bug first uh, get started for you? I actually kind of did grow up in the States, like a super complicated background. I'm not going to do the whole shit, but uh, oh, I, I'm okay. actually from France, born next to the Eiffel Tower, did 10 years in France, then moved to the US a bunch of times and out and out. I actually super didn't want to be an entrepreneur <laughs> in college, loved business, loved University of Texas business, it was great. But one of my worst classes was entrepreneurship, teacher was pretty bad. So I, I got started in VR just working for another startup. Uh, actually, very interestingly, these socialist, communist, experimental artists in France, but they made super good content and they were obviously awful at business. And I helped them out for free and they got spotted by Samsung in Korea and they flew to Korea. And then literally the day after the land, they called me. They're like, hey, like, we need you here. We're getting killed out here. And I was like, OK. And they paid me like almost nothing. They didn't even pay for the ticket for me to go there. But I, I kind of got started with all these like secret Samsung prototypes that had, hadn't had even been announced or released to anybody. And we were working on them. And I worked for them a few months in Korea. It was awesome. But I came back to France and I kind of showed this so like secret. It's the Gear VR. But before the Gear VR, I had this like secret version of the prototype that looked pretty different. And I showed it to my brother. And we kind of like, hey, let's do this, this kind of sports thing. We didn't try to start anything. We literally just like, oh, we could do something cool in here, just like tinkering. I even got like, I posted on Reddit, found an engineer, just built this like little side prototype. And and literally I just kept kind of tinkering on it while doing my job with the artists. And one day I just like, I presented to this like TV channel, this big public TV channel in France called M6. And I got this like panel of executives on like you know, gray suits, like people in their 60s and stuff. And they were like, uh, you have to keep working on this. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. And I go back to my desk and I looked at my to-do list for my job and my to-do list for like my little tinkering project. I was like, I can't do both. And so I just called my then boss and I was like, hey, I have to quit. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and yeah, I could just, I, the point is I kind of just fell into it because it was just like, I got my, I like to say I got my finger caught in the machine. It's kind of like, I was just playing with the thing and I'm like, oh, and it just kind of pulled me in. So very accidental, but then company, yeah, I raised, you know, seed series, blah, blah, blah. And after a while, I was kind of like, I like this. Like this job changes every day, every month, every year. It's completely different, especially when you go from pre-seed to seed to series A to series B. The, the entire, the sales changes, the team management changes, what you change, what you do on a day-to-day changes all the time. And it's just for somebody who's sort of like life 
ADHD like me. I don't have ADHD, but I have life ADHD, if that makes any sense. That that was just super satisfying. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. Yeah, amazing. And you know, you basically built that out to you know millions of downloads, building out this live social sports experience via VR. You built out to you know multiple million dollars of annual recurring revenue. What did you learn along the way of building this? How did you change as a person because of the experience? Uh, it's <laughs> a big question. Uh, there's a lot of inside no question inside that question. Um, how did I change? So I had, uh, to start with, I had like a totally life-changing, so like nervous meltdown half at the beginning of this thing. I had imposter syndrome to a crazy heavy level, even though we were... You know, at the end, we were like 60. I had 60 employees and, and it was fine. But when we were like five or six, I had a meltdown basically because I was like, these people are more qualified than I am. They're following me and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I just was like this overwhelming thing. And I had a, I had a pretty serious mental, well, not, not a mental breakdown. I got an obsessive compulsive disorder uh, diagnosed that was like, I, I kind of had this whole collapse. But like, I, I really, it really changed me. I, if I talk to my uh, therapist about this, I like to say, I kind of half joke about that. It's kind of like, I discovered what dying feels like. Uh, sort of like I embraced mortality around that time. So you can imagine there's a before and after version of me when it's something that heavy. As far as the job goes, uh, I, I really, for entrepreneurship, the most important thing is learning to do something quickly. And then learning that the second you have, the second you can to delegate it to somebody else that does it better, that's specialized. And entrepreneurship, every stage, you know, at the beginning, you sort of like, you do all the stuff, you do the sales yourself, you do the product yourself, blah, blah. And the second you can get a salesperson and sort of like offload it to them, but still be able to tell, be good enough to be able to tell if they're being good and, and sort of check up on it, et cetera, you give it up and you need to sort of like, not totally separate yourself from it, but like give it up. And then you're like, cool, I'm doing your product, 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 product. But the second you can hire a product person, you're like, okay, give it up. And then it starts being like, I got to become a hiring specialist guru. I got to understand all the metrics of the blah, blah, And the second you're good at it, you hire somebody to do hiring and you give it off. And then and then it becomes, okay, how do I manage a, you know, a board? And and that's maybe the only thing you won't be giving off is managing the board. That's like the penultimate level is the top floor penthouse of you should give that off. But everything else becomes, I have to manage my executives and I have to manage the board above the executives. But every topic you'll get into, the product, the sales, the engineering, the whatever, no matter even if you're doing a harder deep tech project like I am now versus uh, the uh, the software, life source media stuff we used to do before, it's, it's kind of the same structure. And it's kind of sort of like learn to do each of these things. And then the second you're good enough and have the money to be able to, to give it off to somebody, you do that. You find a specialist that's able to do that. And then you just kind of check in with them uh, as you need the information. Um, so you, you, you evolve really a lot as you kind of go through these steps uh, all the time. And that, that, that'll never change. Or I hope it never changes. Or I'll get bored of this job. Um, but it hasn't yet. And at this point, I've been doing this. I don't know, six, seven years, something like that. So, Yeah, you know, when I reflect about myself, you know, at my first startup, I just, you know, kind of like, it's funny because what I thought I was learning at that job, now that I'm, you know, done it a few times now, when I look back, I'm like, wow, like, you wrote, you sent that pitch deck, you did that? Like, you wrote that email, like, that way? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't go back. I don't go back. I'm glad I don't go back. Because I, I mean, yes, for sure. And you know, three years, five years from now, I'll look back at what I'm doing right now, and I'll be like, oh, no, man, <laughs> no, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you have anything in particular when you did that? Like, did you have like one specific thing you did once that you were like, oh man? Yeah, I definitely. Uh, I think. I definitely walked out of an investor meeting once because they didn't get it. And I was just like, you guys don't get it. And I walked out and I'm like, now I'm like, wow, that was very unprofessional. <laughs> but you know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was, I was really mean to an investor two days ago. I actually find that I have way less patience for, I don't know how much I can curse here. So I'm just going to say this, but, bullshit investors i have way less patience for them now than i do then so then i would really be way more like no no we'll make it way, 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 way. now when somebody i feel is wasting my time i'm like hey you're currently wasting my time and i have one two days ago that did something i'm not gonna name or anything but did something that was like really unprofessional and i sent him an email be like like i, I should stop talking to you right now uh I, we're gonna keep this conversation going because I like your teammates, but if you do anything ever remotely close to this again, this conversation is over and you don't get to invest in my company. And he was like, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I was like, I would not have done this five, six years ago. You know, I would have been like, hey, let's work together and stuff like that, so. Yeah, that's actually a good point. You, you find that you're you're more nicer to them now or are you more nicer before to the investors? I think I have more boundaries now because like you said, last time I didn't yeah. have boundaries because I didn't know what the boundaries were. I didn't yeah. know what was acceptable, unacceptable. So I couldn't stick up for myself because I wasn't like, I always apologize in my head, right? Like, you know, they were doing something terrible to me. I would just, in my heart, be apologizing because, you know, I did, you know, I thought it was my fault, right? Um, and then now I think I have stronger boundaries. But I think in parallel, I think I've become more graceful <laughs> in that conversation now, right? So now I'm like, okay, you know, I don't necessarily say like, I just like, hey, this doesn't seem to be a good alignment or, you know, let's not pursue this path forward, which is nice ways of saying like, you know, sticking up for yeah. yourself, right? Whereas in yeah. the past, it was more like, frankly, they were just like shitting on me for the time <laughs> meeting. And I, was just like, <laughs> you guys, and I was like defensive. I was frustrated. I didn't know how to feel about it. So I just yeah. said, you guys don't get it. And I walked yeah. out. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah, now in retrospect, I could have just called the meeting short and just say, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, family emergency, you yeah. know, or a dog or something. Uh, yeah. You know? yeah or, Some better reason than, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know. I, I had that too for the live sports live. Like, uh, I had a guy who literally like laughed in my face and quote said, like laugh while, while laughing, he went, you'll never raise $5 million for this. Are you kidding me? And I was like, okay, fine. Prove you wrong. Fine. <laughs> then I raised 15. <laughs> but uh, at the time, I was like, I am pissed. <laughs> you know, I always think to myself, like, as a first-time founder, you know, how much of your motivation is driven by, like, rage at people who don't believe in you, <laughs> right? And Chip, then, yeah, chipping the shoulder. Chipping chip the your shoulder. shoulder yeah, exactly. You need it. You need it. You need it. Because you'll have, you'll have credible people that know what they're talking about and tell you you're an idiot, and you have to just, like blow it off like they're just wrong and it's a, people are smart people are wrong all the time they're just, they're smart they know what they're talking about and they're wrong that's a possible eventuality and when it's about you you have to be like ouch okay keep going i'll show that guy or person whatever <laughs> um i'm definitely with you 
So, you know, what's interesting, of course, is that you don't make things easier for yourself, right? Because you're not, you're building and being a founder, which is hard enough and people don't believe you, but you're doing this twice now in frontier technologies, right? So you were doing VR between 2014 and 2018, of course, you know, it was still early, you know, of course those people were getting hyped in some ways for it, but so many people have been burned over the years on VR, uh, so you made it double hardest for yourself. You you squared the problem, right? You know, <clears throat> and, and that's that's half true. Like I mean, because so VR in 2014, like I kind of got VR right before it was super crazy hot. It was before the Facebook acquisition of Oculus, and it was like it was no, it was definitely starting to be hyped up. But at this point, it was like this nerdy video game thing. Nobody had really heard of it. By the time I had my company, and it was like. I think mid 2016, it started being the, the nuclear winter of VR. It was like the hype had collapsed. VCs were super not into it. But I'm not gonna like our metrics were just getting better and better and better and better and better. We had more and more sales. Like even in 2018, we were still tripling revenue year over year. Uh, even when I left, we were tripling revenue. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, I y- yes, when we were swimming downstream with the hype, it was you know like super great and everything. But, but I had enough momentum to survive a good amount of the nuclear winter. And, and by the way, for those that don't know, won't look up the company, the company didn't die. I just left because of a difference with the board and, and whatever. Uh, hence my earlier statement with managing the board. But, um, but the company stuck around, kept doing well. They had a partial exit later. They actually sold off just the VR portion to this other organization called Cosm, um, which is doing something awesome with it that I'm actually so excited about. Can't talk about it, but Cosm, C-O-S-M, if you want to look it up, it's very interesting. And, you know, when I, because I think we kind of talked a little bit about Hive and being in the flow of stuff here, I, I kind of joined Hydrogen. And Hydrogen, again, Hydrogen Hive had started here, but I didn't join Hydrogen because I was sort of like into Hydrogen. I knew very little about Hydrogen and chemistry. I literally just joined up because my co-founder was working on a very, and we can talk about this in a minute, but on a very specific uh, hydrogen deep tech sort of like uh, hardware thing. And and I joined up just because he was convincing. Like his product sounded awesome. And I, again, knew next to nothing about hydrogen except it was a gas and whatever. I'm a little nerdy in every way, so I knew a little bit about it, but I wasn't really buying the hype at all. Um, and, and what sold me on it is just because like, we kind of got together and I talked to a client with him and pretty quickly the client, even though I knew nothing about this was like, Hey, I'm trying to give you like $2 million for this. And I was like, I have to, I have to do it. And I, got, I feel like I got my finger stuck in the machine again, just like previously live. Like I was like, I don't know this, but I have to do it because the machine's like pulling me and I'm like, okay, well that's the sign, you know, that's the sign. Just go for it. Learn the thing. Like just like get stuck in the machine. Oh, that's amazing. I think it's amazing, you know, because I think, I think for the first time you're a founder, you almost like fall into it, right? I think so many first-time founders, they accidentally get into it. And then all the second-time founders are almost like on the search, right? You know, and then suddenly an idea has that level of gravity to attraction. So I know that you spent some time, you know, after exiting your first startup, you spent some time basically helping others, searching for new ideas, shifting geographies. So it was a very much like a sabbatical or a search process. Could you talk about that process? Because there's so many founders who are thinking about how to structure that in between time, right? You know? Sure. Uh, I'm not sure there's a recipe there, uh, but but sure. And, and it was a challenge for me, for sure. So, you know, I went, I had like three and a half, four years experience at that point. 
and I managed a team of 60 people. So I left uh, right. Nightlife and I, I, I was like, I'll take three months. I'll take a while just uh, off, just taking a break because I was super burnt out after Live Like. And I was actually pretty glad to get that break. But after three months, I was like, okay, I want to get back to it. And I started, I was like, you know what? I want to work for a big corporate just to try it out once. And every big corporate was either like, you made 60 people. I'm not going to give you a team of two people to manage. This is just not the same. Like, right, you're, you're a guy for a bigger company, but every big company that had a big team was like, you have three and a half, four years experience. Like, I'm not giving you a 50% team. Like, no way. And I couldn't find the in-between. Like, it was a real big challenge. Um, but what I did have is I, I had a bunch of entrepreneurial friends, and I would just help them basically for free. I would just be like, hey, like, your sales process. We would just talk about their business because entrepreneurs love talking about their business. And I'd be like, hey, like you should do the sales process differently, like this, your your marketing campaign or your blah 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 blah. And pretty quickly they were like, hey, like I, I, I'll pay you to do this because you know what the hell you're talking about. And I'm like, yeah, well, I obviously did it kind of a lot. So, um, so I kind of went from one company I did EGF, which was uh, esports, and I was very much inside of in charge of their or part of their sales process, and I kind of changed how they did stuff in that regard. It was great, um, but then I got another opportunity for another friend to, uh, it was a, it's Curator Solutions, it's more of an ed tech, uh, B2B, ed, education technology portal, um, interesting stuff, but uh, specifically they hit me up and they were like, hey, we're trying to build a, uh, a branch in India of developers, and I used to have uh, 25 people in, um, in uh, India, in Delhi, and, and they were like, how do you do that? And I was like, well, you got to send one of your execs, maybe you, but one of your execs, at least somebody you really trust, to be on the ground for a while to take care of it. Because it's, I mean, there's super great ROI to have great talents for insanely cheap, but the infrastructure, legislative, the, the support stack is super crazy complicated and takes so much work and time to get it right. So I was like, you got to send somebody. And they were like, how about I send you? And I was like, for how much? <laughs> they gave me a good price. So then I just went. I went to Kochi, which is in the south of India. And I did like three months there building their team, incorporating, doing that stuff. And it was still pretty tough. But while there, I, one of my hobbies is geopolitics and sort of like histories, government, et cetera. And Singapore is super fascinating for reasons that I'm not going to get into here. But I, I basically, I had to leave the country, India, just for a second to reset my visa, just go, go out, go in. I was like, okay, I'll go to Singapore. It's not super far. Um, and I came to Singapore and I found entrepreneur first. So now this whole time I was doing these jobs, I wanted to do the next start. I wanted to sort of start something new, but I had a few ideas at this recruiting software that I kind of had built for my own company on the side to help my company that I had worked really well, but I couldn't find anybody interested in it. And on my own, it wasn't powerful enough. Um, I had a couple other projects that I it was playing around with, but they all kind of either kind of sucked or just I couldn't get people hyped enough or I couldn't find the right people for it. And Entrepreneur First, so this is you know, where we met or through that that we met, essentially, it, it fit exactly what I wanted, which is I wanted to meet a lot of a available, smart people with very varied background that would just talk to me about stuff and we could just brainstorm. And Entrepreneur First is this. So I came to Singapore. They have a branch in Singapore. They're originally from London. Uh, I'm sure you've talked about Entrepreneur First on this show before. Uh, but it fit exactly what I wanted, which is just like high velocity deep conversations. And on top of that, they paid us to sort of like be not, not a lot of money, but enough to sustain yourself uh, and took care of the visa. And so give me just the necessary infrastructure stack. And, and, you know, I started Entrepreneur First working on a software machine learning solution for security that's now called Lighthouse with a Y. And I thought that was great. I realized I didn't want to work in security. That industry, it just wasn't for me, even though the, the product was great and I was super into it and the guy I was working with was great. 
Um, and then I stumbled Ali, my now co-founder, who, who like EF just goes kind of like, you guys are both available right now, not in the team, just brainstorm in 24 hours, pitch me this thing. And I was like, I don't understand anything about this. But I was like, okay, fine. What the hell? 24 hours. And, you know, we got in the meeting room and we were like, okay, explain to me your thing. And he gave me his PowerPoint presentation, which again, I was a great guy, no hate, but it's much more deep than he has brought. And his presentation was like, oh, the selectivity permits data of my membrane is this. And, you know, anybody that's not a scientist is like, this means nothing to me. And I was like, okay, we erased all of this. We go, what does it do? What's the value prop, right? And he's like, okay, well, this, 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 he can do this, he can do this. And, and, and I was like, okay, so we're going to, I kind of reworked this presentation that I presented 24 hours later and people were like, this sounds good. Like not the, you know, there was a feedback questionnaire. People could anonymously leave you feedback. And overwhelmingly the first questionnaire was like, this is like, stick around with this just for a minute. Like, it's not like, it sounded pretty legit. And then, yeah. And I was like, okay, um, I again, wasn't immediately convinced. Like I wasn't like, let's do this one. But I was like, okay, that's nice. I'll just stick around to it. And, and again, the ultimate validation is if clients are pulling at you. So at this point, I just started to understand it pretty quickly. He was like, hey, we got to go after. He, he had a client in mind, this Austrian firm. We just like reached out to them and uh, and they were like immediately. I mean, Ali did a lot of it, right? Because the thing is, they knew what, like if he shows up with Permian selectivity, blah, blah, blah. They knew what he was talking about. And they were like, it's it's awesome. Like we're super on board. So I didn't have to do a lot of work there, but I was like, we're a company that does this. And I just kind of did the veneer and they were like, yeah, we're super interested to work with you guys. And I was like, Hey, uh, so what kind of size are we talking about? And they were like, Oh, this volume of gas filtered per day or whatever. And I was after the meeting, I was like, Hey, Ali, how much money is that? And he's like, Oh, like two, $3 million probably a year, like something like that for us. And I was like, we just, you mean, I mean, these guys were like not a little interested. These guys were like in, like I've done some sales and I can tell when somebody's like sold. These guys were like, we're waiting on you to give us this thing, you know? And I was like, so I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Ali, as much as I think he's a great guy, he's like not a particular salesman. He's much more of a technical product guy. And I was like, if we're that inefficient and we're getting 3 million bucks thrown at us, I have to stick with it. And then I kept trying to do that more and it, I got better at selling it. Ali got better at understanding the client and we kept snowballing that way. And so I just got my finger caught in the machine. Um, and that's kind of the transition, right? Sorry, because your initial question, and I, I went a little past that, but the, the initial question is what do you do when you're lost? And, and that's essentially what you've got to do is find other entrepreneurs. You've got to jump between ideas and you've got to give them the time of day for them to mature. You can't just do everything five in one person. But you gotta find you gotta find a way to rapidly iterate. So meetups, like in, entrepreneur groups, uh, anything that's sort of like lets you meet a lot of smart people that are available as fast as you can. Entrepreneur First was kind of like perfect for that for me because it was just a ton of deep tech, computer vision, whatever the hell it is, and they all were legit. They do the filter of quality of people to me. Yeah, yeah, has plenty of problems. It's not I don't ultra glorify it, but as far as so like the quality of people that came through that program was really, really good. And it just did what I was trying to do, which is like meet other entrepreneurs. It just did it a, f- a hundred times faster than I could have ever done it. But there's other programs like that. Antler does this. Um, if you go to, you know, if you meet, if you go hang out with the Techstars people where they have happy hour, Techstars is in like every city. I don't know, there's a lot of other programs or entrepreneurship sort of like vehicles that lets you sort of like encounter entrepreneurs and their ideas at a, at a rapid pace. And, and that's, just just doing it, helping them out, not worrying about money, just, just finding the right stuff that gets your finger, put your fingers in machines, unlike the doctor tells you, um, and see if one pulls you, you know. 
I have never heard of entrepreneurial attraction being called putting your finger in a machine. That sounds like an in- I mean, industrial <laughs> accident, but maybe it's a good industrial accident. <laughs> it is It is an industrial accident. That's, that's what it is. It is an industrial accident. Uh, but I've done twice now. <laughs> yeah, two industrial accidents that you've done, you know. Um, but you know, I think there's something that's there, right? Which is, I think, you know, you took the time to like bounce a lot of different ideas and uh, work with lots of different founders. Could you share with us a list or maybe a sample of uh, ideas that you thought of, but you'd like throw away? You must have a list, right? Every founder has a list. Yeah. Some of the, some of our crackety crack out there. Like I'm just <laughs> just saying that right now. So okay, the first most I want to say legit one is when I was at Live Like. We had a big hiring crisis. We hiring software uh, developers in New York. It, there's way, or at least at that time, there's way more demand than supply. So th- the competition for good talent was crazy. And you know, I had, you know, we were like 30 people I needed to get to 60 in like four or five months. So I need to hire like 30, mostly developers, like quickly. So I, I had like two in-house, so like kind of recruiter. Uh, one of them was recruiter, one was operation people. I kind of like put them together. And they were trying to hire people and, and, and like we needed product people, we needed software engineers of this kind and that kind and back end and front end and designers and blah, blah, blah. And everyone was like fighting for the recruiter's time. They were like, I need candidates, I need candidates. And then and at the same time, some people were like, I'm so busy because I don't have enough people that I can't come do the interview, blah, blah. And so I kind of built this software, like basically it was so chaotic. I was like, I need order because everybody's stealing the recruiters from each other and they're sabotaging the process. And we had a bunch of people that were good that fell out of the recruiting process because we were messing it up. And so I started learning the metrics. I started learning what is a good churn rate. There was, there's a lot of industry data. If you use um, ATS, ATS is a software for managing recruiters, uh, recruitment. It's kind of just like a smart CRM, but that's designed for recruitment. And it's just lifesaver when you do big volume. And you know, we realized we were doing like 400 resumes for each hire. We had like 125 phone calls, first interviews for uh, candidates. Then we had like sort of in-person first interview. We had like 40 people. Then second interview, we had like 20. Then third technical interview, we had like seven. Then we gave an offer to three. And then one of them would accept like on average, right? Something like that. And, and we needed to do that 30 times. So 30 times 400 resume, you're talking about like ridiculous amount of volume. And, and sometimes we totally botched it, we had to restart. And so I did this, I, I'm actually, I should make this shorter. Basically, I just built this thing, this sort of like software system that told the, the my, my recruiting team, you need to get me this many people at each step. You need to force through, like you need to get 400 resumes and then you need to make, you need to pick a hundred of them to go through this. And the software was actually, I, I was actually happy I was at built because the more, it wasn't just a quantity thing, it, it told them a quantity based on historics. But it also told them if you beat your number, as in if you find a candidate with less than 400 resume, with less interviews, blah, blah, the average would automatically go down. So it rewarded quantity and quality. And what was good is that it prevented any of my other executives from railroading and being like, I need more people, I need less people. I could be like, you need to hire one person within this volume. And the volume wasn't low, it wasn't like, but it, it sort of like punished both indec- over indecision and it punished also people trying to make a quick decision and it tried to pick an industrial uh, sort of like market standard with something. And we could always over railroad. If we really didn't have any good candidates, we wouldn't sort of like force a terrible one, but it was a sort of like really good addition to, to, to recruiting software. You know, I was actually thinking about doing this and sort of like plugging it into recruiting software for bigger companies. 
I had other stupid things that I went all over the place. Healthy but not salad because every day in New York we were like, this is a food play. It, it's literally every day in New York you're like, and what do you want to eat today? You know, go for lunch, whatever. And every day the answer was the same. I want something healthy, but I don't want a salad, right? Like every day. And I was like, I wanted to make a food place that's like, whatever, avocado toast, like eggplant on something, something, something. You know, like some, some just healthy but not salad. And actually put way too much time into those like nutrition plans and everything. I had uh, some other crazy, crazy things. Like I did, uh, have you ever heard, so this is after I worked in esports, right? Have you ever heard of, um, ah, David, what's his name? So, so this ninja is one of the biggest personality, but Dr. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know anything about esports? Dr. There's a guy, he, he was like the number three, number two biggest esports celebrity for a while. Dr. Doom or Dr. Furious or something. I forgot what his name is. I can't believe I forgot his name. But anyway, his whole thing is he's kind of a character. Like he's not the best esports player in the world. He's, he's not bad, but he's not the best ever. But he has this ridiculous sort of like Fu Manchu mustache, sunglasses, like I'm too cool for my own self, etc. He built a character and he's fun to watch and popular because of that. And I was like, you know what? That's exactly like the WWE. WWE wrestling is all like their characters, right? It's not real wrestling. They do stuff. It's all fake and a super scene, but the character is super fun. It's like this guy is like came back from the dead and blah, blah. I don't really watch WWE because it's kind of a little too over the top, but it's all about the narrative. And I was like, man, what if – and I knew all these guys were represented by agencies. And I was like, what if we created a bunch of like character esports people that were streamers that each had characters that played with each other that were so, like built to be a narrative – and the thing, my little brother writes, went to one of the best screenwriting school in the U.S. or NYU for screenwriting. And he's amazing at writing comedy. And I was really trying to sign him on board to be like, please write me a few characters. I'll find some streamers that'll adopt these sort of like over-the-top personas. And I'm not joking. We'll build like a league of WWE nonsense esports players. And we'll, we'll sell them as sort of like characters and sort of like mini brands. And, and I actually talked to this about some serious esports lawyers, and they were like, "This is awesome! <laughs> like, I would super invest in this." And anyway, I, I ended up did not doing it because I could get my brother was like not into the idea enough, and he was I really needed into this because I could write the talent myself. So anyway, enough stupid ideas. But the point is, I went all over the place. Some of it were technical and legit, so like software engineering stuff. Some of it was nonsense, so it was consumer plays. Some of it was otherwise, you know. How, how does a founder, what's your advice, you know, how would you go about a process of saying which of these, you know, ideas I have, how do I prioritize them? How do I choose which one to go for? So you kind of mentioned it a little bit like, you know, if someone's throwing you money, uh, you know, at you, then you're kind of like, well, that's pretty hard to like avoid, uh, you know, going for it. But how do you go about, you know, prioritizing, sorting, deciding? Because you also said something earlier, which was like you decided some ideas were not for you, even though you thought it was a good idea as well. So how do you go about doing that? I feel like this episode is just going to be, you should name the, if you name the episode, you should call it Finger Stuck in a Machine. <laughs> like it's, it's that. Uh, I mean, so you said it, well, just somebody's throwing money at you. It's obviously a good sign. That doesn't mean you have to do it. By the way, it's plenty of time people throw money at you and they're like this WWE thing. This guy was like, uh, the second you do do it, like, let me know because I, I will help you find cash for this. It's your motivation because, I mean, I, this is true for me, but I think it's probably true for a lot of people. When you're really into something, your work output is awesome. Like, you will have no problem putting ridiculous amounts of time for it. You'll have all these crazy ideas swirling, et cetera. So 
just when you feel inspired, work on it as much as, you know, financially you can, you have the time and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then after that, it's, it's how much also you can get other people to buy in on it. Cause again, I can get my brother in on it. And I was like, this is going to be difficult to figure out. I think it's very much sort of like, you got to give it your energy and then see if other people get infected with this stuff or yeah. If, if, if you kind of get stuck in it, like, it's like, for me, the big test was like, can I walk away from this easily and without regrets? And, and, you know, the esports thing, sure. And healthy, but not salad. I put a, I put a significant amount of time on it. I mean, I put like weeks worth of work, build these old meal plans, like thought about the supply chain infrastructure. Do I do it as a delivery service with a ghost kitchen first? Or do I actually build a restaurant? Is it a fast food or is it a restaurant? Is it just a delivery service? Like, and I did the unit economics, like put real time in it. But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, do I feel like I'm missing the gold opportunity of a, of a millennia if I'm walking away from this? No, I mean, or at least not yet. Like, I feel like it would work totally. I'm super convinced, but I don't feel like I have the opportunity. So like, I could just grab it. versus again, this hydrogen thing. I'm like, this guy's throwing $2 million at me. Like, I, I don't have a choice. And he clearly knows, he, the, the thing is also with Ali is I'm like, this guy's a freaking genius. And I hate that. I hate the word genius because I think it's still like a myth. It's a mythical thing that I don't like. See, everybody's human. Everybody's fallible. But I was like, this guy knows this science to a ridiculous extent. And he's super not, he's deep, not broad, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, in one day of work on his presentation, I'm going to really change how he does things from a business standpoint. And I was like, I have a ton that I can contribute. Me and him together, we're going to be like killer. And so, so that plus the sales point, I was like, if I walk away from this, I'm stupid. Like, I'm just stupid. Even if I don't know hydrogen at all, he's going to teach me, I'm going to learn. But if I walk away from this, I'm stupid. And that was the, the test, you know? I guess me walking away from the software stuff, I didn't feel like I was stupid. I felt like there's a good product there and I really want to do it. Same with the esports, same with the, the food stuff. Like, great product, put in a lot of work on it, but I can't walk away from it. This is thing. I didn't have a choice. Oh, that's great advice. Well, you know, starting to wrap things up here a little bit. Uh, so for you, you know, obviously you've gone some, some crazy ups and downs, right? You know, lefts and rights. Uh, could you share with us a time when you faced down some adversity and had to choose to be brave? I, I have a big thing, even though I'm very, I know I'm very braggadocious and very, so like high energy personality, extroverted, blah, blah. I, I really, this is a very personal matter to me. I really don't want to be overly arrogant. And so I don't think of myself as brave. Okay. I don't, I kind of actively reject that notion. That being said, so bravery is not not fearing fear. Bravery is having fear and so like sticking through it and and you know dealing with it in a healthy manner and and not giving up. And I've had a couple times, man. I've had so when I had the bad mental break the first time, I, it was just to just to explain how how bad it was. It uh, to simplify it, I. One day I got my first ever panic attack, which I'd never had. I did for like 24 or whatever, and that lasted a few months. And then one day the panic attack stopped and it got replaced by, it's not literally a voice, but almost like a voice. It's an impulse, but to make it easier, imagine you had a voice and I had this little voice in my head that was like, you're going to kill yourself right now. Like right now you're going to kill yourself. And I was like, what the hell? And it felt like an outside thing, right? And it was like, you're going to jump out of this car right now, or you're going to take this knife that's on the table. You're going to slit your wrist. 
or you're going to smash, you're going to jump off this ledge, you're going to jump off this building, you're going to whatever. Every, and every time there's something that would kill me, my brain would look at it and be like, you're going to do that right now. And I never did it because I was terrified, but it felt like almost I was like possessed by the thing I wanted to come. Which is, that's a, by the way, this is a typical obsessive compulsive. It's a real obsessive compulsive disorder. I went to see a special, thankfully my mom's a shrink, not specialized in this, but she was like, that looks like that. She sent me documentation, I learned about it, and she's a specialist, and I worked on it. But but for a second, I was like, I have to be like interned for my own safety. Like, and I have to stop my job, stop this thing that I love, because, and and I worked through it, and I fixed it. I didn't quit the job, I didn't give up on it. I told my co-founders, I was like, hey guys, I'm a little like messed up in the head, and I have a real problem. And they were pretty cool about it. They were like, okay, well, we'll do what we need to do, you know? Tell us what you need. And I was like, nothing except be nice to me and let me help me deal with this thing. And, you know, I really sort of like visualized like having to give up everything I ever wanted because I broke, you know. Uh, another time I got PTSD from something and PTSD is very different. It's like the fear center of your brain um, doesn't turn up. So imagine if you watch the scary movie and, you know, yeah, there's a scary part and you're like, ah, like that. Imagine that. Uh, never turns up like it just stays on and you're like why am i scared and like i don't know but i'm terrified like why am i scared and it just stays on and it stayed on for like six months i mean awful because at some point you're like i'm so tired i don't want to be scared anymore like so tired anyway i went to see a shrink and i took care of it and i kept going with my job and it was like okay and you know i kept my going with my job i kept working on it so to come back to the initial version of bravery thing, is just like, uh, the only thing is you have to deal with it. You can't repress it and you have to get help. You have to go to your loved ones. If you have any, I don't have a girlfriend, which is particularly tough on me, but I have a super awesome, like my mom, even though she's not here, she's super helpful because uh, she just shrinks. And I, I have a therapist that I like, it's the one, even though it was broke, it's the one thing I couldn't give up on financially. And, um, yeah, and I, you know, talk about it with friends, and, and I work on it, and I and I make it work. Um, and if you have to take a break, you have to take a break. There's no choice. And if that kills your business, that kills your business before it kills you. Um, but yeah, uh, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's just like you you have to to be human, um, and you have limits. Uh, and, and I try to push beyond my own limits several times in terms of stress and everything i have a bad i think i have a really bad system for detecting stress so it's an advantage because i can do super stressful things without realizing but when my sort of like stress level overflows and causes literal mental damage i don't notice the alarm signs which is really bad but thankfully i'm good at sort of like or i'm good i i understand that you have to work on fixing it after and that's going to be true for any founders better that if you go get massages or or uh or take care of yourself before it overflows. But you also got to realize that like you, you have to take care of yourself, even if they're like, no, I have to work 18 hours. Like, no, 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 no. Like right now, actually, I'm dealing with this right now. So not this PTSD stuff, but like I am, I know I have too much stuff going on right now. And I'm, I'm doing this podcast because I, I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. I think it's nice to talk to you. Yesterday night, I, I did kind of like a 12, 13 hour day. I started at 11 a.m. I finished at midnight-ish. But I, I played video games for a couple hours, even though I really didn't have the time. Like, I'm overwhelmed and stuff. But I was like, but if you don't do this, you're going to have a break after. And and that's what you have to do. You have to sort of, like, force yourself. And it's easier. The more you're a repeat entrepreneur, the more you learn, like, your limits and what you have to do. 
Uh, and you have to be, and there will be guilt where you're like, oh man, I have this contract I'm gonna sign, I'm here playing a stupid video game, and you're like, no, you have to, like, like you will die if you don't do it. Uh, you also can't leave stuff undone. You have to, but you have to manage both, and you have to find where the equilibrium is in terms of have to take time for yourself, and, and at the same time keep your workload manageable. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being so open about your own journey here, and you know, in the spirit of like you know open disclosure. I mean, for myself, one of the things I've learned as a second time founder is that if I used to have these like what I call it, I call them procrastination loops. So if I, you know, it's a very tough email and so I'll delay doing it. And then what I end up doing is I start up clean, I start cleaning the house. I start like, uh, actually binging on food and I start watching a lot of YouTube. Right. And then that makes me feel more procrastination and then that drives it further. Right. And, you know, I think it's a very simple thing, which is, you know, I'm worried about the consequences of this email in that sense of communication and how do I articulate that back? And I didn't know how to do that, especially because, you know, I think when you, I was like a more junior person, you could always collaborate with someone on that problem. But when you're the CEO or the founder, you can't collaborate, right? So it feels painful and then, and then it gets, it grows, right? And now, because I am aware of it, if I see myself watching too much YouTube, I will be paused myself and I'll be like, wait, am I watching YouTube because I want to watch YouTube or is it because I'm avoiding something, right? And then what I do after that is I do something more interesting, like go for a walk or go to sleep, actually, or get a massage or talk to my wife or, you know, walk the dog. Like there's a bunch of stuff that if I just do something that that loop, um, then I realize that I miss, I'm procrastinating something and then I'd solve it. Totally have this exact same thing for me. Even YouTube, that was the same thing. But for me, it's doing the dishes and doing laundry because I'm like, okay, I'm doing something productive. And then I'm like, I'm in productive mode and I, then I can segue into my email or something like that. But totally, 100%, explain it super well. This procrastination loop. I'm not as good as being like, hey, am I watching YouTube for just watching YouTube for procrastinating? I'm not so good at stopping that. But if I manage to be like, just do the one little thing, just do the, this easy email, you know, don't do the big kind of scary email, just do the easy little like, okay, cool, I read this, boop. Then it's easier to like segue into a, productiv a productivity loop as opposed to a, but yeah, totally. I always tell people, uh, what I kind of notice is like, if I'm watching a StarCraft match with com commentators, look, I enjoy it, but I don't, it's not that engrossing, <laughs> right? So if I'm watching that, I'm even watching community <laughs> or something like fun, you know, that's probably a good sign. But if I'm watching like StarCraft matches, I'm probably just trying to kill time, right? You know? <laughs> okay, all the StarCraft gamers out there just angry at Jeremy yeah. right now. It's like, how can you say, you know? But that's me, you know? That's not my, that's my tier two entertainment, right? You know? I'm, 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 I'm very similar. <laughs> I'm very similar stuff. For me, it's usually if there's new videos by like the top 10 YouTubers that I watch, which for me is a lot of like, history and geopolitical stuff because that's like my hobby if there's new videos yeah and if i start either re-watching old ones or i start digging for new ones then i'm like you're just straight yeah up. exactly exactly <laughs> you're just straight up my tier one is exactly yeah. like that history uh you know analysis you know some good stuff it, it, yeah it, it exactly. makes me smarter yeah. at least and it's not a waste of my time and then you know anyway so well, uh, you know, starting to wrap things up, Andre, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, and let me just kind of like paraphrase back to you, like the three big themes I saw. 
Uh, I think the first team of calls was thank you so much for sharing your personal growth as a founder, uh, both during the good times, you know, from scaling it from zero all the way to figuring out what the heck is going on to, you know, raising capital to eventually selling uh, the business. Uh, so really appreciate you uh, sharing about how you see yourself differently in terms of skills, but also your attitudes of being a founder and uh, and I also love the shared humor that we both have of uh, recognizing how uh, much we've grown and uh, how much more we will regret what we're doing today <laughs> in uh, five to 10 years yeah. time, right? Um, yeah. And the second thing I really enjoyed, of course, was I think a lot of your advice on you know the fact that when founders leave their first company, they're thinking about their second company or the future and how to think about brainstorming, obviously, new ideas like the WWE for Twitch or, you know, ATS uh, optimization or anything but salad yet healthy dynamic. Uh, and thanks for the tips of, uh, you know, not just the founder market fit dynamic, which we talked about, like what actually makes you happy to do. But also I think you talked about, you know, the market signals about it, about uh, it being actually a good idea as well. And lastly, actually about the co-founder, right? That you have someone that you're excited to work with. And I think that's a great point. Uh, and the last thing that I really appreciate you sharing, of course, was, you know, obviously you sharing about times that you've been brave on your personal journey. But also thank you so much for being brave about sharing about, you know, I think the fact that being a founder is super stressful, right? <laughs> because, you know, we're doing something that has never been done before by anybody else. That's why this company doesn't exist. Uh, and we're going to do that on the clock with limited time, resources and people. Um, and I think you've raised some really good tips about how to not only be self-aware, but also, um, you know, self-manage uh, that. And hopefully it normalizes the conversation for other founders out there uh, who are dealing with stress, uh, but also um, points them in the right direction to get some help uh, along the way early and uh, where at whatever stage they're at. I, I really want to hit the last one. It was probably the rest is fun, whatever, but that last one is... The most important is just like, and the support network is just anybody that you can sort of like go and be like, I'm getting messed up or messed up and be like SOS and, you know, they can help you disarm your, your stuff and you can just talk about it and, and it won't fix it overnight. It never does, but it's, it avoids you sort of like exploding. It's a pressure valve. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andre, for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. Uh, and definitely, Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.